There we go. Awesome. So we are not live. So welcome everybody uh, to the fourth episode of the Filling Destiny podcast. I am joined by Dr. Rachel Record and Elise Gary. So these are two fine ladies from SDSU and they are here to educate me on something I have actually have little knowledge about health disparities. So it's going to be a very informational podcast, which I'm actually pretty excited about because, oh, I had a lot of fun doing some casual conversations. Now it's something a little bit more real, something with more data, and I'm looking forward to about an hour of having uh, my brain pickled with new information. So this is going to be exciting. So uh, we'll have Rachel go first. Rachel, you want to introduce yourself to our viewers? Sure. Hi, Jen Rainey. Thanks for having me here. I am so excited. Uh, I'm Dr. Rachel Record. I am the I am a associate professor at San Diego State University in the School of Communication. I am also an associate director at the Third Hand Smoke Resource Center, which is housed also at SDSU. And I am an advisory board member for Fulfilling Destiny. So I have been with Fulfilling Destiny since before they were officially launched. So I have known um, founder and director AF for, um, gosh, going on five years now. So I've mm -hmm. sort of been there through her whole journey and I'm very honored to uh, continue to work with Fulfilling Destiny. So thanks for having me here today. Having your titles just go, just like gives me shivers on my spine. Especially like, oh, right, you are a board member. So you're technically <laughs> <laughs> Looking aside, aside, it's really great to have you here, you know, to give more to powers like, yes, someone's actually on board with someone uh, as talented and as educated as you are. And then on the other hand, we have Elise Gary. Uh, you want to go ahead and introduce yourself? Sure. Good morning. Um, my name is Elise Gary. I am a health communication major at San Diego State University. Um, I learned about Fulfilling Destiny through a class that I took with Dr. Savage. Um, it is called Health, Health Communication and Service Learning. Um, <laughs> we would partner up with YBSA, which is, a, which is a university in Mexico, and we were tasked to go and interact, and we were working with Border Angels and Fulfilling Destiny. Um, sadly, it was cut a little short because of COVID, but we were still able to learn and just do a little bit and um, working with a potential grant project, um, just like a proposal, not an official one, but we learned how to do it. And we got to learn a lot more about Fulfilling Destiny. And as I'm taking other classes, a lot of students are still talking about Fulfilling Destiny who have taken Dr. Savage's class. And so the word is getting out and super, super excited to talk to y'all today. Oh, that is so awesome. Border Angels. I actually haven't heard about that organization since they did, like, you know, those informal meetings in middle school. So it's been quite a while since I heard that name, but I didn't know you, you spent some time with them as well as Fulfilling Destiny. So that's pretty, that's actually pretty exciting. And I'm, yeah. wow, you, both of you, <laughs> incredible for doing the things that you do. And then now that you're here, I'm just like, hmm, I feel so... A little underqualified right now. <laughs> like, you I'm not should not. You shot. should not. I'm I have a lot of years on you, Jan Marini. I have a lot of years on both of you, right? You have plenty, plenty of time. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. It's just, you know, like I said, like putting myself and looking at someone who's 
like way farther down the line in terms of like what they were able to do in the time that they've been here on this earth. It's really amazing. So we get to see your work up until now. But before I start fangirling about these two lovely ladies here, we'll go ahead and hop onto this episode. So like I said earlier, I don't know much about health disparities unless it's in the context of like psychology or my sociology classes. And they're kind of, they kind of brush it underneath the rugs, just like, well, we know that these issues exist, but um, I'm going to pass this off to you, Rachel. What are health disparities? Like, tell me, educate me, fill my yeah. brain with knowledge. <laughs> um, so what I really liked about the way you sort of started this question was about how you can't, you hear the term and you hear, you know, health disparities being thrown around, but so many people don't realize what they are. And because mm -hmm. health disparities are kind of complex products of larger systems, a lot of things affect health disparities. And so um, I'm hoping in this hour that we can really break down what they are and make it clearer. So let's start with a definition, shall yes, we? So please. <laughs> health disparities are the differences in healthcare quality and access that exist between groups that are not due to their biology or personal decisions that they're making regarding their health, but are there because of the systems Within, they, within which that they live. So these are the differences in um, mortality rate, in um, insurance rates, in ease of access, in wait times, in the ability to sign up for um, different services or providers or care, in access to nutrition and healthy food, in smoking rate and exercise. All of these various different health behaviors are actually uh, influenced by larger systems and larger structures. And yes, our personal decisions play a role, but when we look at the larger picture of overall groups, um, we see that it's not just about the decisions we're making, that larger groups are greatly influenced by different factors within healthcare systems and cultures. So these factors um, are called social determinants of health. And so social determinants of health are the things that influence our health that are in a lot of ways out of our control. So our income, our education, where we live, whether we're in rural or urban areas, um, our culture, all of these things can be the reason we're either healthy or not healthy. <laughs> Oh, you know that when you when you bring up things of like education, where we live, the areas of access, uh, it's actually quite relevant here. Um, I'm just going to spill this in. I'm from a very affluent neighborhood. I see, you know, like nice neighborhoods, clean parks, you know, healthy kids going to school. There's no like little data on truants or like crime rate, stuff like that. But then as the farther I go west or up and down the 805, depending on where you live, uh, you see the streets are cracked. You see, you know, kids skipping class. You see, you know, even people experiencing homelessness are, they're more apparent in some places. And knowing that there are these differences, so there are people who make decisions on whether they could be healthy or not. So that's actually kind of surprising and it's kind of shocking, especially if you're someone like me who just drives, you're like, oh, I haven't seen this 
or I haven't seen, I guess, like, how sad it could be, like, socioeconomically, as yeah. you go from, like, a 10-minute drive from my house to SDSU or SDSU all the way down to places near the border, like San Isidro or farther, farther south. So it's kind of, like, a little depressing to think about. Yeah, and one of the most important things when we think about this is that we, we tend to forget that it doesn't have to be this way. We are one of the only developed countries that has extreme health disparities. Most developed nations don't have health disparities in the same way the U.S. has. They don't have these massive differences in healthcare between different groups, different racial groups, different gender groups. Um, this is a product of our healthcare systems and our policies and structures that are sort of governing the access and quality of care that people are receiving. One of my favorite projects that I love to talk about in class, the uh, 2012 American Public Health Association Conference. Um, it's a huge conference, brings out you know 10,000 public health advocates and scholars. They um, partnered with the California Endowments uh, nonprofit and did a campaign called Health Happens Here campaign. And when attendees entered the conference, they were greeted with all of these big messages that had pictures of children, their zip code, and their ex life expectancy. And they were able to gather all of this data within the U.S. and statistically predict how long people would live based on their zip code. Oh, that's, that pulls that's terrifying. Yeah, that pulls heartstrings. Oh, God. There's something fundamentally wrong with the ability to be able to do that within a society. Because the only thing that should impact our health is what we choose to, to do, the food we mm -hmm. choose to eat, the exercise, some of our biological predispositions that might mm -hmm. be out of our control, but right. not in the US and not in many other countries as well. It's not that health disparities are just a US problem, but there are problems in um, China and India and Russia and Africa and the United States, um, and many others. That was not a comprehensive list by any means. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just, you know, casually name-dropping some countries that we know that the U.S. gets compared to, you know, especially when it comes to our health policies here. It's not the greatest, and I know it could definitely be better. Um, I actually want to pass this off to you, to you Elise. Oh, what do you feel about uh, what Rachel has shown us that, it, it it could be as easily done as finding zip codes and knowing how long we get to live. It's kind of kind of dark, <laughs> kind of sad. Oh, Lacey, there. Yes. Um, <clears throat> yes, I am. Can you hear me? Yes. Mm -hmm. Internet just might be a um, little, <laughs> little up and down. Loving Zoom. It's okay. Um, where I live, <laughs> where I live in Los Angeles, small little city. Um, it's called Baldwin Hill. Uh oh, oh! I think we lost you. Oh no! <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I expect this from Zoom. So really, like, if anything, I think you're back now. <laughs> it happens. It happens. No worries. This is great. Okay. 
Um, <laughs> you know, actually, that brings up a good point. Internet access is another issue as well because not everybody has reliable internet. I'm just so lucky that I have a room right now that I could have internet. And then, of course, Rachel's in her home residence, I believe. And then you're probably at home, but then say farther down the zip code, not everybody has reliable internet. So if your internet's cutting in and out, it's totally fine. It's totally fine. I, we, I think we've all been patient with the pandemic lately when it came to internet. So uh, would you like me just to move on to the next point, then I'll come back to you later, Elise? Um, no, I can totally head on what, okay, go ahead. Um, what you said. Um, where I live in Los Angeles, it's called... Mm -hmm. Um, Baldwin Hills, and technically it's in the Crenshaw district, which most people know about Crenshaw from songs. Um, but from where we live, um, from where we live, the whole zip code thing is very prevalent to us. We're right next to Culver City, which is a more affluent city. Um, so there, there are different differences for us and you know one of them that we see is like with our schools um mm -hmm. schools get funded by taxes but for us there's more apartments apartments don't get taxed the same as houses so you know things like that influence like our roads like who wants to invest in us and who wants to build a trader mm -hmm. joe's or a whole foods and we don't have one but you can drive you know two miles to cover city you know next city over and definitely go have all of those yeah, you know, because people think that, you know, if you shop at, well, I don't want to trash talk any stores, but if you don't shop at, like, Trader Joe's or Whole Foods, people tend to believe that stores that don't have that name brand, the food is not as great. But if that's all we have access to, what are we supposed to do? Um, oh. So, you know, that's just trying to survive off of what you have and, you know, just riding the bus to go get your groceries and, you know, things like that. It's, it's, um, so it takes time out of your day with, with work and everything. So it's, it's, it's not easy. And it's really hard when people say like, oh, well, you're not trying to eat healthy. It's like, you don't understand the, the different right. complexities it takes in order for me to get these things. And sadly, going to McDonald's to get a dollar burger is just going to be more filling than me driving or taking the bus to go buy $5 worth of iceberg lettuce. So, um, yeah, I, yeah, I feel that. I, I know that hearing, especially in, in your case, your story about, like, going to McDonald's, right? I'm not sponsored by these companies, by the way, just putting that out there. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 no sponsorship. <laughs> not yeah. at all. But, uh, like, like, like you said, like, going to McDonald's to pay a dollar to get a more, f like, filling meal versus picking the bus to go to the nearest city to go shop for, like, Whole Foods or, you know, healthier options. Those, those stories I hear quite often, but, you know, only in my psychology classes. I don't really hear it here, but, you know, like you said, it just, it depends on the access and what is currently available and then what do you have time for? Not everybody has the time to drive, to walk. Like you said, you took the bus. I took the trolley to SDSU for three years. And that's waking up at 4 a.m. to get to classes at 8 a.m. And then I'm stuck there until 10 p.m. Like, it's yeah. annoying. And like, as much as I love to walk to Trader Joe's, like, I do have enough traveling. Just, mm -hmm. like you said, Nick, a uh, meal from McDonald's and head home. Who cares if I gain 15 pounds from it? It's just like, it's food. I don't care. I'm tired. And yeah. I'm poor. Like, I didn't have money. Yeah. Um, 
but you know, these are some of these things and it's kind of sad. So I'm going to pass this back, back to you, Rachel. So why, other than the, the systems that are already in place, uh, what else, or what are the other reasons that you think health disparities continue to exist here in America or even here in California? That is such a big question. So there's the biggest answer is that our larger system mm -hmm. is designed to perpetuate health disparities. So Elise was getting at the way resources are distributed, right? Mm -hmm. Our resources are distributed in a way that wealthier upper class neighborhoods get more resources than our lower income neighborhoods. Therefore, those additional resources are used to invent in preventative measures, essentially, for health, such as education, better mm -hmm. opportunities, better access. Um, and so the larger system distributes resources in a way that continues to allow health disparities to be present for different groups. So one of the terms that gets thrown around a lot is um, systematic racism. This has really come up a lot this mm -hmm. summer, right, as we've right. really sort of had to face a lot of these social injustices that exist within our society. Health disparities are one of the prime examples of systematic racism in practice. The fact that African-American communities, uh, mm -hmm. black communities above all other groups have poorer quality of care, less access to healthcare. Um, and there's sort of this perpetual cycle where the way resources are distributed, those communities are not given the same opportunities to rise up from those situations of health disparities, right? Mm -hmm. And so the fact that resources are designed to benefit these upper class communities, which tend to be predominantly white or non-minority groups, means that they continue to improve in their healthcare status and health access, whereas other minority communities have um, many more challenges in trying mm -hmm. to combat those differences, and they're left to do it with fewer resources. So the problem is, is that a system overhaul is the solution. And it's what many other countries, especially in Europe, have done is mm -hmm. overhauled their healthcare system. And we've had this conversation in our country for, I mean, over a decade now. Uh, well, okay, we've had this conversation for many decades, but I mean, we've actually been <laughs> acting on making in the bigger changes. light in the bigger yeah. light of things. Yeah, the Affordable Care Act was one of the largest steps towards changing the way healthcare-related resources are distributed to groups. Affordable Care Act, commonly known as Obamacare, right? And right. we know how contentious that has become. It's been a completely politicized topic. And so we as a society are continuing to grapple with how we want healthcare to be managed in this country. So I think the second answer to your question is, the solution also relies in education and conversations about what the problem is, right? right. Um, groups like myself, upper middle class white groups, we cannot put our head in the sand because it doesn't affect us. Yeah. We cannot rest on the sort of comfort that we have because our group as a whole, and don't get me wrong, there's plenty of white people that, struggle with health with access to health care and quality of care but not the majority and not even close right the majority of the um 
of the uh, groups of white communities do not have those same problems. And we have to be advocates for a system that allows everybody to receive the same benefits that we have. And so it's an overhaul of the system. And it's also um, education and awareness and advocacy to make sure that we are sort of tuning out the political noise that is really just dragging this conversation down and letting uh. us really focus on the, the reality, the the day-to-day the -day lives and the impacts that um, our healthcare systems are having and the, the reality of health disparities that exist in our culture, that regardless of what, you know, these political conversations are happening, they're there and we can't ignore them. Wow, that's, I like, I like that you brought up the, like the issues of like our healthcare system, like say Obamacare or what it can be, you know, past, the our election day which is coming up in two weeks so who knows? Days. everybody register to vote everybody listen yes as well. so everybody yes vote, vote. <laughs> so this is the semi the the semi politics like insert right here if you have registered to vote here in california i please encourage you to vote you know whoever you vote for make your vote count you know like who you know made made the best like made the best candidate win but, you know, make your votes count, whatever you're passionate for, whatever you advocate for in terms of your health, economic policy and all that, please go ahead and vote. Um, I have not put my ballot yet, but I will be doing it this weekend. So I'm making my what, what's called voting plan. So if you need a voting plan, I will drop the links down below later. But like I said, uh, back to the earlier point, like the our healthcare system, it requires a complete overhaul. I do agree. With that and I do agree that some of our communities like you said uh, some of our uh, our white community members is like they need to do more because some of us in the minority are tired and we don't have the information we are not educated we don't know enough and that's partly because of where we live how we were raised and what we choose to listen to and what we choose to ignore like oh that's a like like that's a white problem or that's a black problem that's an Asian yeah. problem stuff like, like this doesn't concern you this doesn't concern me do i want to listen to these things so hearing that we need to be talkative we need to talk more without dragging things like politics into it is still very very important and it's really refreshing to hear it from you rachel one as you are a white uh, <laughs> a white woman one, you are a professor, you are educated, and it's good and refreshing to hear that someone like you is advocating for people like me, like an Asian minority, and, you know, for everyone out there who is potentially listening to this. So, yeah. thank you. <laughs> well, I, I think that from a moral perspective, right, I like to think that people inherently are kind and nice and i mean we can all point to examples of people that violate that but generally speaking <laughs> most people generally. i think i think most people truly believe they are advocating mm -hmm. for a system to help all people i think that the, at their core that's what people want but what we struggle with is um sort of ex agreeing on how to get to that goal Right. That's right. where we're, we're disagreeing is what's going to help that goal happen. And I think that one of the reasons that we're really struggling to invest in systems and healthcare uh, practices and access that reduce health disparities is a fear of 
losing something, right? That if we change the way resources are distributed, then some groups will lose. And that's a fear tactic. That is sort of a political message that's being thrown out there to make people afraid to advocate for changing distributions of resources. And that's just not true. When we, um, no one's going to change a distribution of resources and then make you give anything back, right? Groups that have been able to receive additional resources, you get to keep those resources. No one's asking you to give back your tax dollars from your school, to give mm-hmm. back your hospitals. You know, that, that's not going to happen. No. But what might happen is, is all of this advanced resources that you've been allowed, maybe the amount at which, it maybe it drops a little bit. No one's going to take anything. You just might not continue to get the same big stretch leg up you've been getting. And instead, we might give you half a stretched leg up, and then let those resources also give other groups half a stretched leg up, right? So no Mm -hmm. one is taking anything. But when it comes to money and resources, people are afraid to lose what they have. And I understand that, right? Because Mm -hmm. it's scary to think about not having healthcare access, not having the best care, not having health insurance. But that is the reality for all minority groups in the U.S., that is their fear and that is what they're going through and so we have to empathize and want to advocate for the resources that wealthier educated white groups in particular have been able to um, have from our system Ooh, that's actually very interesting that's that's good to hear too so uh, actually i wanted to know at least since i know you've been Fairly quiet. Sorry, but, instructor habit. No, no, right? it's true all day. <laughs> hey, it's it's a comfortable habit too. I I was I spent a semester teaching uh, English to Spanish speakers back in San Isidro, so I definitely know what it feels like to talk. <laughs> and it obviously making this podcast, I talk quite a lot. I'm very chatty now in comparison to before. But actually, at least I wanted to ask your opinion about this. Like, how do you feel knowing that? There are people like, say, like Rachel, who are advocating for you, and then they're fighting for ways that funds are re- like, what's the right word for it? redistributed from, say, like Clover City up to your your current city. Do you feel like that fear tactic, like we're gonna take something away from one city to give it to you? Do you think that's fair? Do you think that's accurate? Uh, how do you feel about it? Um, I feel personally, as the listeners don't know, but I am black. Um, you can see that, but they can't see that. Um, and there's a lot of things. I don't want to say it out loud unless you do it first. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. Um, but there are a lot of things that my community personally, I can, I can speak for my community, um, better than I can for others, um, that we have been talking about for years and years and saying like, we need this, we need help. And then it's just fallen on deaf ears for so long. And now it's just become like, oh, okay, now we understand. Um, But from what I've seen in my own eyes, it's been people like Rachel who are like, okay, yeah, this is a problem. And then now people understand and like, wait, how is it now that Rachel's speaking about it? You get it, but Elise has been speaking about it for years, and you didn't get it. Um, yeah, yeah. So it, it, it hurts, but also, you know, if that's the way that we have to create more access and create more help in our community, 
it is what it is and it just has to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I think about, you know, redistributing um, access and, and resources, honestly, just makes me think of South Park. I know it's not super professional, but when they're like, they're taking our jobs like that. <laughs> that, <laughs> that right. It plays in my head because I'm like, it's so wild to me. Like, that's not, that's not what's happening, but it's just like. I just want what you have at the table. I'm not trying to take away what you already have. Exactly. exactly. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's not saying that, you know, like, I'm just more qualified than you just because of, you know, the color of my skin. It's just saying that, look, I have qualifications, too. I have experience, too. Just give me a shot. And right. People want is just to have a shot and just to have a chance, um, you know. And I think that, I think that that's that's the most important thing is just trying to understand different perspectives and try to hire different perspectives. Um, it will lead to less backlash when you do ads. I just <laughs> no, no. Honestly, like it's like I said, it's it's interesting to hear, especially since I have literally two. Well, essentially, like, two groups here who have been literally newsworthy for the past couple of months. And I'm not, I'm not saying, like, all white people and all black people are always at butting heads with each other. That's not entirely true. It's some people just disagree, and they're very upfront about it, and they're very passionate about it. But then, you know, it's, it's a conversation that needs to happen, especially since I'm, I'm also in the minority. I don't know what this feels like and I don't know the extents of the level of access say like Rachel has or the amount of lack of access like Elise or others like Elise may or may not have had so it's it's really mind-boggling to see like we're having this talk here and it's yeah kind of it's kind of on a whole whole nother level especially with the the climate that we were in and we're still going to be in so fingers crossed that up until the election and whatever comes up in the next four, eight, twelve years, hopefully something could come to rise. Yeah. But we're gonna transition away from oh actually I just you got a question. To, uh, no, I wanted to sort of um shed some more light on something Elise said, which mm-hmm. um I think is so so important. And so um as we I think disclosed in the beginning, Elise is one of my students. And so I think she danced around a phrase that she didn't want to accuse me of, but I think it's really important to accuse me of because I think I got really close to it. And that's that, that white savior complex. Right. And so that's kind of what, what she was getting at was this idea that black communities and other minority communities have been, you know, screaming at the top of their lungs about these problems and people aren't listening. And then I come in as not just me, but, you know, as a metaphor. Um, And all of a sudden we're starting to listen. And it's, again, a product of the society and another example of some of these, the systematic racism that exists, which I know isn't the topic today. And we could spend a whole episode on systematic racism, but I wanted to come. Yeah. yeah, I wanted to come back to this because she's right. And and it's something that I have to be very careful of. It's actually part of the reason that I invited Elise to join us today Mm -hmm. is because I think that um, it's important that when we have opportunities to talk about, um, various different things that impact groups, such as health disparities that impact a number of group communities, that we have representation from those community groups because there these are not my stories. These are not experiences I have. And, you know, 
almost every single human can say that they had a bad healthcare experience or that they had to drive far once or twice or that they had a health insurance challenge. But for most educated adults, especially white adults in the US, the vast majority of our healthcare experience has not been negative. So my talking about health disparities, even the examples I pull for class tend to make me feel uncomfortable because my examples, I have not experienced health disparities. I have had bad healthcare days. I have had terrible healthcare services every now and then, but, but I have like, not lived not like in us. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I have had a car breakdown on the way once, right? But I have not constantly always had to navigate transportation to get to the clinic or the doctor. I have not feared losing my health insurance. Um, I have never real (laughs) discriminated against. And so I'm really glad you brought that up because I think one of the things that's really important as we talk about these topics, which I am not a great example of today because I talk a lot, uh, but is to bring in communities that the topic is really about and not tell their stories and make sure that as we open doors, we let representatives from those communities come with us. Um, so Elise, I don't know if you want to tack on to this and uh, <laughs> sort of help me share this <laughs> point I'm trying to make. No, um, you totally, you totally hit on it. Um, you definitely saw that I was dancing around the phrase I was sharing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think we all... <laughs> At least you and I know what that phrase was. It's definitely, like, I'm just saying from my perspective that I've definitely had, not necessarily like people like you, Rachel, but people who really took that, what, that savior complex to a whole nother level. And then they're, I, I, we'll, we'll use the word mansplaining here just to like, explain. <laughs> white saviors, white splaining you know, my issues as if they know better than me. And, you know, that can happen to anybody else here, but I'm glad that you were honest about it, that it can happen and that you're not as educated um, about these things um, in comparison to, like, the stories that Elise and I could probably have. But at least, at least it's, it's brought up and it's been stated. So, <laughs> at least, how do you feel? I mean, again, like I said, um, I have no problem. Um, I'll this. I have no problem with the white community and other minority communities assisting, mm-hmm. uh, but I don't feel like it's okay for people to just feel like, "Well, I'm just going to save this community and we're going to get it done," and two clicks and a boom, and we're it, and it's out. Because um, that's not how it happens. Things are more mm-hmm. complex for people. Um, you know, I thankfully am blessed to. Um, so be on my parents' insurance um, as they work for the post office, and then we have insurance through Kaiser. Um, but when I look at my community and like, if you don't have Kaiser, where would be the closest hospital for you? And that would be a county hospital. And like, how far is a county hospital? Or pretty far. Yeah, and then having to go to like the emergency room if you can't get to the county hospital and then it's like well those bills are expensive and so there there are there are aspects um to healthcare that I am not privy to because I have my own little bit of um privilege but that's what I mean of like it's it's such an intricate issue um that it just can't just be solved with a broad brushstroke um so yeah but speaking about 
privilege and the privileges that the three of us have had, we're going to transition into now talking about the people that are in our communities who are experiencing homelessness. So hopefully, Rachel and Lacey, give me a little bit more of your time today because I really do want to hit on one of these talks. So it's going to be a little bit of a longer episode. Hopefully, you don't mind. Um, but uh, so we're going to go, like I said, we're going to slowly transition now about people who are experiencing homelessness. That the three of us here, we have a good amount of privilege, right? So you are currently under your parents' uh, insurance or that you have currently a house above your head, you are cared for, you have water, electricity, food, and all those amenities. And I know that I do, fortunate that I do, and I know Rachel does as well. So other than not having a home, not having access to food, water, and stuff like that, what are some of these other noteworthy health disparities that exist for homeless or, or communities who are experiencing homelessness, what are some of those issues that come around? Um, well, I know one big issue that we're talking about more is mental health. Um, one, again, just broad brushstroke, people usually assume that if you're homeless, it's because you are on drugs or it's because you have a drinking problem or a gambling problem, mm-hmm. but it's not that that's more, it's a more deeper issue. And mm-hmm. we don't have really good access to mental health, um, mental facilities. Um, and people do point out that maybe someone does not want to get mental health help. Mm-hmm. And that's totally their decision and their prerogative, but also it's also very difficult to get access to that. And, you know, those barriers also are an issue. Um, trying to speak to a licensed therapist or if you do have insurance, who is covered within your insurance? And, you know, and then if they're not covered, then how much is out of network? And there's so much with that. And I just think mental health um, is a is a large part of, of illnesses that we don't want to talk about. Or if we do talk about it, um, it's it's more of like it's an othering yet again, but we're here all living in this country and these are all our issues together in this country. Um, so that's how I see it. Great. I'm just like going over our talking points that uh, Rachel has sent to me. I see that there is a word or I guess like an acronym, PCOS. Uh, yeah. What is PCOS? Yeah, um, so PCOS is polycystic ovaries, and basically what polycystic ovaries means visually um, is you have multiple cysts on your ovaries. Um, oh. And so, um, Sorry, I don't mean to come in here. Uh, this is specifically, not like specifically, but this is a, it's the right word, that I know it's not like I'm totally nuking on my anatomy class. It's, it's, it's a women's health problem, and you this is a issue for women who are experiencing homelessness? Um, yes and no. Um, so that also brings up the topic of like the LGBT community. Um, okay, okay. There are also definitely people who may no longer identify as a woman um, who may be trans or may, who may be non-binary. Mm-hmm. Um, and so people who menstruate is the way that I like to say it. But if you definitely look on, say like, Kaiser or the CDC, um, it's definitely going to say that this is a women's issue. 
okay, um, okay. Just wanted to make, I just want to be more clear about it. Okay, so uh, no please go ahead. <laughs> tell me, tell me no what problem. is polycystic uh, ovaries? Um, or PCOS, it makes, mm -hmm. rolls off the tongue if you just say PCOS. Um, so PCOS is something that um, affects um, black and brown communities um, because of the different symptoms that come up with PCOS. Mm -hmm. um, one of the symptoms with PCOS is um, obesity. Now that's not the definite cause or link to it, um, but having a higher BMI, um, there's also excuse me, there's also links to it through having like an irregular period. Um, and so that would be if your period comes more than every 21 days. Um, and you have difficult losing or gaining weight. Um, you have more hair in what is considered to be more masculine areas. So like um. sideburns or a mustache or hair on your chest. Um, those are those are things those are things like that which are symptoms to PCOS and then finally it would be to do a pelvic ultrasound to see if you have the cyst. Um, but it affects it affects our community more um, because there are certain things that we're pre they're predisposed to. Um, and for example, so for example, one of them um, would just be who I'm trying to say this in the nicest way I can. Um, <laughs> I'd say, so for me, I have PCOS, and okay. and um, in my community, in the black community, we are more highly predisposed to um, heart conditions and obesity, and mm -hmm. that is one of the links with PCOS, and mm -hmm. so there is no definite, like, cause, there's just a lot of symptoms, mm -hmm. and this is what leads to it, um, but a lot of people are not diagnosed with PCOS, which is a problem, um, mm -hmm. and it's more, it's all more common than you think, like one in 10 people have PCOS, but it all depends on, you know, who you go see. Like if you don't have insurance and you're just like, my periods are regular, that's normal. And that's just what your family tells you. Then that's what you're just going to live with. But there are other health issues that come down the line with PCOS. And the reason why I thought it was really important to talk about it because just because you're homeless doesn't mean you stop menstruating, and right. absolutely, <laughs> it's a, it's 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 such a such a weird statement to say because it's a fact, but for other people, it doesn't it doesn't process in their mind, mm -hmm. um, and so I think it's really important. This is yet again having access to healthcare so you can get diagnosed because PCOS is also like one of the leading causes in in infertility. Um, you know, if it's just oh, a rupture, I didn't know that. It is, yes. You need to have surgery. Um, it also links to having issues with fibroids and endometriosis. Like, there's so many other things. And, again, a lot of those other things particularly are more common, like endometriosis and fibroids, are more common in the Black community. And um, so, and also other minority communities as well. But, again, I can only speak for my community. So, yes, it... Um, mm -hmm. It's just the small, these small little cysts that you have on your ovaries that totally change everything. So, um, just uh, just because I'm just looking at our talking points here. So, for communities like black, uh, like the black and brown communities, and even some of our homeless, like people who are experiencing homelessness, you won't know about your health status unless you get checked. 
that's that's basically the key part of it. Like you and I, we could get checked because we are, we have the privilege to. We could go set up a doctor, no matter how long we wait, so, but we will get a diagnosis or we will get a status check. But to those who are not, who are experiencing homelessness, they're kind of left on the wind. They don't know where they stand in their health and they don't know how healthy or not healthy that they are. And then whatever health issues that they're kind of keeping under wraps, mm-hmm. we don't know how severe that's like, you brought up earlier, like mental health, right? Um, like some, I've, when I took the trolley a lot, when I was going to SDSU, this is just gonna be me explaining like how I felt about the homeless community before until now. Before I would be very, I'm going to admit it, I was very scared and very nervous because I've seen, I guess, like, some of more of the erratic behaviors of when they're in their moods, right? Like, say, schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. They're wild, they're loud, it terrifies me. But like you said, we don't know how deep, deep those issues are in them right now. Like, they could be having their first psychotic break or that could be, like, their seventh in, like, yeah. a week, and how they're acting or whatever they're doing now, it's just, it's part of our system that we're not helping them enough. That we can't give them what they need, like we can't give them help. So it's some of those things that I feel like people out there, especially our viewers out there that need, need to be a little bit more understanding, a bit more compassionate. Like if you see someone out in the street or if you think that they need a little bit more help, like please do so. Or like if you want to, Say this is for fulfilling destiny. Uh, if you'd like <laughs> for to help some of our female our female companions out there who are menstruating, please consider donating some dignity bags or creating some or you know dropping some monetary donations for other menstrual companies or homeless shelters or say like Meals on Wheels, like those things that help our community members who are struggling. So we don't know to the extent and who knows if they're gonna some of these people out there are going to be ever open about what it feels like to be with nothing. So it's, I'm glad that you brought up things like PCOS. I didn't know that. So probably when I, when I do my next yearly checkup, I should probably ask, like, can I get screened for this? Cause I don't know if this is my medical history, but like I said, I don't know if that's the same too for homelessness out there how often do they go to a clinic how often do they go without shots how often do they go without medication that's appropriate for whatever it is that they're feeling like we could slap a child over for every headache that we get but when they have headaches or when they have like what do they use Mm -hmm. right and then of course like whatever access they have out there like it could be drugs could be substance abuse it could be whatever it is that's hands-on for them at that moment so Um, I I encourage our viewers out there, please be more mindful about who we see out there. We don't know what they're struggling with. We don't know what they're going through. You know, our financial status shouldn't come in the way for us to care, uh, to care for others, even our racial status either. We We should care about them a lot more often. So as we bring, as we come around to this, I want to ask the two of you, what can we do help these individuals who are experiencing homelessness navigate through health disparities that are very rampant here in California? (laughs) So I was going to add before I answer your question. No, of course, please. (laughs) um, uh, 
homelessness is another example, another great example of a byproduct of a system that has is set up and structured in a way that produces health disparities. Right. So again, when we think about homelessness, one of the things that we don't tend to recognize is that this is not a problem everywhere. Some countries have systems and structures and investments in place that have little to no homelessness. Japan comes to mind immediately. Um, other European countries. Yeah. So homelessness is not a guarantee of a civilization. Homelessness is in and of itself a byproduct of the presence of health disparities. Mm -hmm. And at least bringing up mental health is a huge, huge, huge reason that we have um, homelessness in the United States at the rates that we do, because you have our um, veteran community is one of our largest communities that has... Right for so many decades been mm -hmm. denied the resources and access and care they need to navigate a health challenge. Um, and then of course, there are many uh, different individuals who maybe don't have a veteran's background, but mm -hmm. still are being denied access to mental health care services. And when you don't have access to those services, all of a sudden we have um, an inability to cope and manage our health and right. for individuals with mental health if you don't have a strong support system if you don't have communities if there's um if you are not raised in a place where there is excess income and wealth to support you if you are not surrounded by um individuals that have sort of the background uh and education to know how to support these different um groups then homelessness tends to be a risk factor because people don't know they're running out of options, right? right? And so that's, again, the lack of options <laughs> is because we have a system right. that has produced this outcome. And that is a choice that we've made as a society to maybe not have these hard conversations, to um, different groups have politicized it, making very hard to have these hard conversations. And so I know that <laughs> my solutions are so hard because until you change the system, Mm -hmm. everything's a band-aid and that is really really hard to hear but you know I, I think that my um, engagement and um, support and work with Fulfilling Destiny where the help that I do for Aya because really she does all the work I do very little compared to what Aya does Thank I you, don't Aya. Need little what those nonprofits do because they are essential right the nonprofit work that goes into supporting communities that are going through homelessness is, I mean, an incredible, incredible contribution in supporting those nonprofits and giving them the resources they need and the donations, to some extent, the donations we make, which could be a larger conversation because the other side of the coin is, is that it's easier to donate than it is to show up and do the work. So we also have an over-donating problem in this society, and I'm a part of that too. I do my <laughs> drive-throughs a couple times a year, mm -hmm. right? Um, so the, these nonprofits like Fulfilling Destiny that are providing resources to these communities are essential for helping them navigate right. the situation that they're in. However, the only way to prevent future 
uh, oh. health disparities and future incidents to reduce that risk of homelessness. We have to change the system. And until we do, our best solution really is, in my opinion, these nonprofit groups and um, the help and support that they kindly give, right? Um, and I know Elise has some great examples of working with groups that have, <laughs> have I mean, also, last answer for Fulfilling Destiny, uh, if you'd like, again, to support <laughs> our communities out there who might need some extra help, please look out to some community outreach groups that exist in your city and actually take a quick look at the demographics. See who is, you know, not doing so hot, especially in the pandemic. But like I said, for Fulfilling Destiny here in the greater San Diego area or even up in San Jose, since I know we're branching out there as well, if you'd like, please donate any of your spare feminine hygiene products, disposable wipes. Uh, clean undies are not opened because we don't want your reused undies. That's kind of ew. It's not sanitary. <laughs> it's not sanitary. It, it's ew. But uh, if not, you know, yes, monetary donations are also acceptable. I will put the links down below. But, you know, consider looking for other community outreach groups out there as well. If, you know, whatever fits to your taste. But please be mindful about who you is to do some research as well. And then we'll pass it on to Lisa. Sorry, Lisa, go ahead. Uh, how do you, like, what do you think, aside from like changing the system uh, that, that Rachel has mentioned, what do you think that we could do better to help um, the communities who are experiencing homelessness navigate through future or, you know, even current health disparities right now? Um, I guess mine would be, as uh, Rachel said, putting the Band-Aid on it. Um, but... <laughs> That's but that's the work that I'm. That's the work that I can do as mm -hmm. someone who's an undergrad. Um, right. That's all I can. That's that's what I can give. But it's better than doing nothing. Um, so mm -hmm. with my church here in Los Angeles, um, we are located in downtown Los Angeles. We're like in actually Koreatown, but it's right by downtown Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And as we know, most downtown areas will experience more homeless people living there. Right. Um, so most famous here in California is Skid Row, and that uh, is yeah. that is where um, I do my um, my giving back. Mm -hmm. um, so I created this this small little thing with my church, where um, every Christmas we pack bags, um, mm -hmm. and we'll do things throughout the year too. But this one is something that's really special to me because I started it because I figured. Why not? Holidays you know, are rough, too. The, um, yes. And, and holidays are cold, so. They are. So what we'll do Even is... Even in California. Yes, <laughs> yes. I mean, for people who are on the East Coast, you know, my goodness, that wind chill and everything. <laughs> whole other thing. Mm -hmm. um, but here in, in LA, it's, you know, sometimes it gets to be 40 degrees. And, you know, when you're sleeping on the concrete, that is cold. Absolutely. And... Um, you know, so just we we do a blanket drive, and then also Aww. what we do is we um, we create food bags, a toiletry bag, and a sanitary bag. Mm -hmm. And so each year, I've been doing this for three years now. Each year, I've just gone up fifty products. So uh, last year, we did one hundred and fifty products. And so wow. the food bag will just have like a sandwich, some chips, some cookies, a drink. And then for us, since it's our church, we just did like some reading materials as well. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we did a toiletry bag, which was socks. Uh, we did toothbrush, toothpaste, shampoo, conditioner, um, and That's then incredible. some soap. Um, because, you know, 
we there are still sometimes they'll have like rolling I would say like rolling showers um right yeah so yeah so if you're if you're able to do it and you know you can you now have the ability to and then we would also create like a week's worth of sanitary products and so then we would just go down we pack all that up um and then we'd go down a skid row and then hand them out and so that was our way of of helping our community because that's who affected us and we're like you know, it sounds insistent, but like you can't just step over the people who are literally living in your backyard and living next to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's the way that I thought um, to help. And I know I won't be able to do as large of an effort um, now that um, coronavirus is happening. Um, so I would still probably do something smaller, but I think that's a great way to get out there and help. Um, you know, if you can't, if you can help monetarily, help monetarily. But if you say like have a bonus, but you don't need the bonus and you can just create five bags to give out to your community. That's a great way because you can go out there and have conversations with people and understand what they're going through. And understand like, these are people and we, we other the homeless community, but it's important to understand that, they're just having a hard time. Mm-hmm. And if we can help, we can help. Um, and if you can't help, say, um, you know, if you don't have time to do as big an effort, it's totally okay. I'm not saying that everyone needs to create 150 food and toiletry bags and uh-huh. sanitary bags. Like, that's 500 bags. You don't need to do that. Do what uh, you can. <laughs> do what you can. Like, you can donate to your, um, of course, to Fulfilling Destiny. Um you can also donate to your local um, LGBT community as well. Mm-hmm. Um, they need help as well, too. And they also need um, sanitary products as well. Or donate to your local shelter um, or your local mm-hmm. mission. Local they food can, bank. Or it, food yes. bank. Yes. Local food, food bank. Banks. Yes. Um, you know, those are really great ways um, to do that. But I personally am really big, just like Aya is really big on handing out the dignity bags because it is a way for you to connect with people. Um, and, and as a health comm person, you're able to understand people's, what health issues people are going through and able to communicate with them. And it's, it's a really, it's really more humanistic to me than just dropping $20. You know, it, it, it brings up a quote that I was thinking about. I probably didn't completely botch this, but this is from Schindler's list. Uh, I believe it was the, I'm totally going to botch this, but it was, the the right hand man of Oscar Schindler who uh, gave the gold ring to Oscar at the end of the movie. It's like I think I believe the quote was somewhere along the lines like he who saves one saves the world. So the fact that you do like I said blanket drives or right blanket drives or blanket bags for these communities, the way that we do dignity bags here, or the way that some others you know, go out to their homeless shelter to help feed the homeless, uh, the homeless community or uh, doing other mission statements around the world. Like, I believe the things that we do for others in person can do a lot than more than just dropping monetary funds. But, you know, it's, it's, it's dependent on the person's comfort on how they do it. And if you could do one small thing, it can be enough. And I think that's beautiful about 
the two of you coming here today to tell me that what you have been doing for the communities out there is very special. Like, I have faith in this world now. Like, that means <laughs> I have faith. Like, there is one good thing right now in this world, and I'm hearing it today. But that's just, that's just broadly speaking. So, like, I'm proud that I got to sit here with the two of you to tell me about some of these very important things I've definitely did not know about. And now that I do, I can now speak about it to other people, obviously on this podcast, but, you know, outside <laughs> other conversations to my viewers who call me or listen to me and listen to the both of you. So I wanted to say thank you for joining me today, <laughs> the two of you. It's been it's been wild. I'm surprised you managed to cover everything within um, about an hour. Um, I actually just want to pass out this, like, possible last question any last closing thoughts uh the two of you we'll start with you first rachel sure well um couple more soapboxes <laughs> um thank you so much for having me here i you know trying to take on health disparities in an hour which we you know to some extent got sidetracked in very understandable ways, but how I teach health disparities as a class that you can take for an entire semester. And so we really want to remind <laughs> listeners that this was a very sort of, um, you know, the first 30 minutes of the first class of health communication and culture that I teach. And so there are so many more things to talk about. And the message I think in, as we wind up that I just really want to drive home is a reminder that your zip code should have nothing to do with how long you are expected to live. And that is the heart of um, talking about health disparities is it's about you, about advocating for the decisions you make to be in your biological makeup to be the only thing that impacts your health and not the system you live in, not the country you live in, not the zip code you live in. That should not be a determining factor in how healthy you are. Mm -hmm. um, and the other sort of just final statement, and I I'm cautious to bring this up because I don't know as much about it as I wish I did. But my understanding and uh, is that there's a current measure, for example, I've talked a lot about changing the system. Right. San Diego on the ballot this year, Measure A is a um, proposal to invest in some resources to support the homeless community here in San Diego and to solve some problems. Now, I highly encourage I, people to vote for it now. <laughs> so I'm cautious to do that because to be honest, I have not looked up the opposition to it. I only right. know the argument for it. Um, but interestingly, in the voter packet, an opposition to Measure A wasn't submitted. So this tells me that there are not a lot of groups um, out there actively protesting Measure A. And this is an example of an opportunity for us to consider an, an option to start to change some resource distribution, right, right. start to, that doesn't change the system, but it gives us some funds to try to make bigger leaps and bounds. And so again, I don't want to become sort of the poster for Measure A because <laughs> I, I really yeah, no. don't know all that much about it other than it's putting funds in the right place. And San Diego has got to invest in 
reasonable solutions for the homelessness crisis that we face. And again, I don't see a ton of opposition to it, so I feel comfortable um, encouraging voters to go read more about Measure A because this could be a chance, you know, go to the store, pick up your donation, and consider something like Measure A because your vote on the ballots and these propositions are a way for us to impact the larger system. So those are my two mm -hmm. large final comments. Thank you, Rachel. All right, pass it off to you, Elise. Any last closing thoughts before I do mine? Um, yeah, I guess also, as Rachel says, to vote. Um, here in Los Angeles, we actually have three propositions. Um, oh, Bill. Bill it. Uh, so I definitely um, encourage people to who are in Los Angeles, read up on Prop 21, read up on Prop 20, and mm -hmm. also read up on Prop 15. Um, and so those are those are my opinions. Vote however you want, but those also affect the homeless community mm -hmm. um, and, you know, your schools and your community colleges. So look into that. Um, but again, if you can um, if you can help out in your community, whatever way you can, um, that is the best. We we do have a privilege. Especially if you're listening to this podcast, you have a privilege to listen to this podcast. Amen. Um, <laughs> so, you know, um, you know, give him whatever way you can like you. You know, we talk about the homeless community because it's important and because, you know, it doesn't just come to our mind. You know, sometimes we don't have to second guess these things. But if you just take the time to, like, just go over, like, some of the brief topics that we scratched on the surface level, uh, it's just like, wow, that affects so many people or, you know, that impacts their day-to-day -day life. Imagine, imagine, imagine just the small help that you can do, um, especially like giving sanitary products. You may not have to think about buying your next bag of pads, mm -hmm. but someone else is not going to have a pad to use. Mm -hmm. And so they're going to have to use whatever is around them. And so just being there to be a helping hand is super, super important. So um, I think that's super helpful. And if you go to SCSU, take Dr. Savage's health community <laughs> service learning class, so that way you can work with fulfilling destiny hand in hand and learning how to help your community and, and learn more about health disparities. That is my plug for the day. Okay. All right. And then as far as my, my closing thoughts for today, as your podcast host, thank you for at least listening for the hour about an hour and 15 minutes of the of me and these fine young ladies right here uh for popping into school me quite literally school me on health disparities and pcos lgbt you know racial you know racial talk because we need to have some of these topics discussed in a healthy way and i'm grateful grateful that we had an open fully and calm and collected conversation between you know different groups we have we have a white member here we have an asian member here and then we have a black member here having a good talk and i'm grateful for those things my other answer would be yes in 12 is it 12 days or 11 days 11 days 11 days if we we're 11 days away from making some of the biggest splashes in our political history right now yes it, we're not going to necessarily talk about politics here but because it is election season i do encourage anyone who's been listening if you had been registered please vote it doesn't matter who as long as you vote and choose the things that you care about although i would highly suggest you know take a look at what's on the ballot take a look on what is being proposed does it help 
you? Like, does it help your community? Does it help your status financially? Uh, the city that you live in? Uh, just take a good look around you and, you know, understand also like your privileges. Understand what you have and what someone else doesn't have. Does that mean access to a bus, access to a store, access to healthcare, access to education? Think about those things. I highly encourage you to think about these things and then talk about them with your friends and family in a way that it's healthy and not, you know, a screaming match over the dinner table. So it's those things I encourage everyone who is listening on this FD podcast um, to think about it. And of course, like I said, if you're able to in any way that you can help as much as you can to the best of your ability, if you want to do drives, do drives. If you like to donate your own personal funds monetarily or through your own products, do so. Do you want to create an event that everyone could kind of pitch in and then you can make something beautiful? Make it beautiful. Do beautiful work and do humanitarian work. So for everyone that's been here, thank you. And for everyone that's been listening, thank you. So this has been a very, very strong episode today. And I had a I had a real great time. I don't know if, like, since our faces won't be shown, the whole time my face was gritting. It was just like, wow, this is so amazing. So, again, thank you, Rachel and Elise, for hopping in with me for about an hour. So we're going to go ahead and call for a day. You want to say bye, everybody? Bye, everyone. Thanks, Jan Marini, and thank you, Rachel, for inviting me. This was amazing. Thanks so much, Jan Marini, for creating this space. And Elise, I'm so glad you're here. Both of you are um, incredible young women, and I'm so glad that you are both taking opportunities to have your voices be heard, because that's really <laughs> what we need, or, or your voices, both from your generation and your communities. So, And it's, it's honored a, to be here. It's a great thing. But as for that, we're going to close off for tonight. Ladies, we're going to have our hands up. So when I do edit this, I know where it ends. Well, in your case, Elise, you could do us a countdown since so just me and Rachel with our faces. Oh, there we go. Perfect. All right. And we're going to be over in three, two, one. There we go.